to hear an anointed, powerful word that will change your life from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Be blessed as your faith goes from one level of glory to another level of glory. Okay, you ready? All right, take your Bibles. Go to Ephesians chapter 6 tonight. Father, I thank you for this opportunity tonight. I thank you once again for your word. Father, we believe every single word that's in this book, and we thank you for printing it so that we can know your wills, your ways, your thoughts. And we just thank you for all that you're going to do in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, still talking about walking in divine health. As a kingdom citizen, you have a legal right to walk in divine health. It was given to you the day you entered the kingdom of God. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and that's one of your benefits. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now notice, it doesn't say anything here about fighting the devil. Why don't we fight the devil? Because he's already defeated, that's right. But notice what it says here. You have to basically stand against spiritual wickedness. Well, yeah, verse 12, it says against the rulers of darkness, we wrestle not against, but back in verse 11, it says we stand against the wiles, say the wiles. Now, what are wiles? Wiles are the schemes of the devil. Wiles are the plans of the devil. So basically, we know that, that sickness and disease does not come from God. It comes from the enemy, the devil. Jesus said he healed all those who were oppressed of the devil. So we know sickness and disease is of the devil. Here it tells you you need to stand against the schemes. Now, in order to stand against the schemes, how many know we need to know? what the schemes are, don't we? If we're going to stand against the wiles of the devil, praise God. All right, go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Whenever I hear, read that scripture and it says wiles, it reminds me of, uh, probably dating myself, uh, that cartoon with Wiley Coyote. You know, he was, always, he was always setting traps, and every time he did it, backfired and smashed his head, basically. So every time I read out, I can see the devil setting traps for us, but at the end, the guillotine or whatever falling on his head instead, so... Yeah. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. Probably the only one that ever saw that because I'm older, praise God. Look at verse 27. It tells you to neither give place to who? The devil. Now, neither give place to the devil. That means that we can give place to the devil. And notice it's not telling you that God's not going to give place to the devil. It says that you should neither give place to the devil. So basically that's up to us, isn't it? So it says, do not give place to the devil. Another translation says, shut the door on the devil. Another one says, lock the devil out. Now, once again, we know the devil and demons, they inflict sickness and disease and try to put demonic oppression on you. But notice, it's our responsibility. And if God tells us to do something, how many know you can do it? He doesn't tell us to do something that we cannot do. So he says, you need to give him no place. Now, where can, he give, where can we give him place? We can give him place in our spirit, in our soul, and also in our body, all three areas. So we don't want to give him any place to the devil or his works and our thoughts, his suggestions, his devices, any area of our life. We want to keep him out, basically, because we know that he's bringing the curse that we studied last week, trying to get that into our lives. All right, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 3. 
Paul was writing, he said, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Notice here he talks about one of the wiles of the devil. The devil comes basically to corrupt your mind, and your mind is also your soul. What is your soul? It's your mind, your will, your emotions, it's your thoughts. So what's Satan attacking? He's attacking your thought life, basically, in your life. Here it says Satan comes to corrupt your mind or your thought life. Satan's attacks are designed to get into your soul or into your heart, basically to alter the way you're thinking. And how many know he's always trying to get you to not believe God's word? He's never in there trying to get you to believe God's word. So everything that Satan brings against you is going to be against God's word every time. The Bible said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is what? So is he. So if I think I'm a, a victim, if I think I'm sickly, if I think I'm always poor, then I'm going to live that way because basically the enemy has gotten in my mind and told me some lies that I'm now meditating on and I'm seeing. And how many knows after you meditate them on a while, the next place they get into is in your mouth. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So whatever I'm thinking on, when you think about thoughts, thoughts are just basically, or, or words are just basically thoughts expressed. You can think things. If you don't speak them, they never get born into this earth realm. But as soon as you say them, they've already been born in here as a seed. So you can have a sickly attitude. You can have a healed attitude, depending on what you've been meditating on and how you see yourself. If he get, can get you to think that you are getting sick, how many of you know you'll end up sick? If he can get you to think you are sick, you will live sick. If he can get you to fear sickness more than you believe the word of God, you will live sickly. So he wants to keep you ignorant of your right to be healed and live in the kingdom of God. And notice what it says here in the beginning of this verse, but I fear, say fear. The number one device that the enemy has is fear. He tries to get you to fear things in your life. Whenever you're thinking about fear, how many of you know you're not thinking about somebody, something positive? Have you ever been afraid that you're going to be a millionaire? No. You've never did that, Dave. You? You've been afraid you're going to live healed your whole life. No. You're afraid of the opposite, aren't you? So he's trying to get fear in your life. Now, there's, there's a reason why he does that. And let's let go there. What the heck? Let's go there. Well, let's finish this first, then we'll go there. How's that? So verse 3 says, corrupt you from the simplicity that is in Christ. Say simplicity. simplicity. Now, what does simplicity mean? It means simple. In other words, the gospel is simple. And if you want to operate in the kingdom of God, you have to be very simple. People say, you're a simpleton. I say, thank you. Praise God. That's very nice of you. So in Christ, it's simple. You are healed by his stripes. You are redeemed by his blood. He bare your sins so you could be saved, and he bare your sicknesses so that you could be healed. Now, the devil will come along, and he'll try to attack you, and the first thing he wants you to do is have fear come into your heart. Why does he do that? Go to Proverbs chapter 10. This scripture here will make you feared to fear. Proverbs chapter 10, look at verse 24. It says, the fear of the wicked, it shall come upon him, but the desire of the righteous shall be what? Granted. Now, now why is that? Well, fear is the opposite of what? Faith. Fear is the opposite of whatever I faith will end up coming upon me. So whatever I fear also will end up coming upon me. So if I'm going to live in fear, I'm going to get what fear brings to me, what I'm afraid of. If I'm going to faith, I'm going to get what faith brings to me. So it's just the opposite. Here the fear. Job says, what I so greatly feared came upon me. 
Well, why is that? Because he feared it. See, he's walking in righteousness of God, but he was still had fear into his life, which opened the door for the enemy. So it's the fear of the wicked. So whatever you're afraid of, if you're afraid of going broke, you need to fix that. If you're afraid of getting sick, you need to fix that. You don't even want to be afraid of your kids doing this or that, or your spouse doing this or that. You want to correct that in your life, because that fear gets in your heart and gets on the inside of you. And I'll tell you, fear will wear you out. How many of you know that? Fear and worry are things to come against your soul, to wear your soul down, to wear you down mentally to a place to where the enemy can once again get into your heart. Once it gets into your heart or your soul, it will get into your mouth. Once it gets in your mouth, you'll start talking fear. Once you start talking fear, what you talk will come upon you. And then, of course, God always gets the blame. See, but there's laws in the kingdom of God, and when you live by these laws, you're going to see that they worketh in your life. So you can't be afraid of anything, praise God. And what are you going to do in order to not be afraid? Trust God. Yeah. Bible says, trust in the Lord with a f little bit of your heart. <laughs> Every now and then do your best. No, trust in the Lord with all your, all your heart. That means your soul, your imagination, your thinking, everything's trusting God. Why ain't I afraid? Because I've got a scripture that keeps fear out of my life that's lined up with God, and I'm going to believe God rather than go off into fear. All right, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 again. You hear people talk all the time, I'm so afraid. You ever hear anybody say that? I'm so afraid. This is I'm so afraid that's going to be. You better get that out of there, praise God. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, this is very interesting, isn't it? It tells you to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? The Word of God. So the knowledge of God is the Word of God. That means there's going to be things that come to your mind, basically, that you are going to have to cast down and get rid of because they're trying to get into your imagination that are anti-God and anti-kingdom things. I'm going to go broke. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. Uh, I'm mad. I'm this and that. All these things start to come in your mind. Once again, who's responsible for casting them down? We are, aren't we? And what things? Every thought. Say every thought. I mean, and that means a lot of them. Every imagination. Every report that comes that's not with the Word of God, that comes against you being healed, that comes against you being redeemed, that comes against you being blessed, all these things have to be cast down because they're anti-kingdom of God things. People sneeze and they say, I think I'm coming down with something. I mean, no, that's not a good thing to say. Some people sneeze and say, I'm catching that cold that's going around. How many of you know we don't talk like that in the kingdom of God? And that came from thoughts, didn't it? You had to think it before you said it. You just don't say it and then think it. So it came out of your thought life again. People say, well, you know, grandma had cancer at 50, mom had cancer at 50, and there's a good chance I'm going to have cancer at 50. How I many you know that's not very good? That's not going to work in your life because these things get in your, your mouth, you start to believe them, and you start to get them. So it says, cast down and bring them into the obedience of Christ. Why? So they do not get into your imagination. How I many you know you can think a thought and not see a thought? And I'm not talking about physicalized, I'm talking about in here. Or you can, you can think a thought and start to see it. If you meditate on it long enough, you will see it. 
praise God. Uh, there's times, you know, let's say you're going on vacation and you get everything ready and you get all your clothes fancied up and you get halfway down the road and all at once this thought comes and says you left the iron on. Ever had that? And you think, no, I turned the iron off. You drive another mile and you can see the house on fire. And you can see the firemen coming and spraying water all over your house. And you just turn the car around and drive back there and you get there and guess what? The iron was off. But all those things came to you. Do you see what I mean? They, they, your house wasn't on fire. The fire department wasn't there. But after you thought about it a little bit, boy, you could see everything burning up. You could see all this stuff. Not out there, but in here. And that's what it does when these words get in, when these thoughts get in there. You have to cast them down and replace them immediately with the word of God. That's why it's the sword of the... See, you're cutting those things out of your thought life. You're cutting them out. You won't be able to stand them anymore. At first, when you get born again, you don't know this stuff. You'll be able to talk sickness and disease. Uh, flu's gone around. I'll probably get it. Blah, blah. But after the, the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you and starts training you in the word of truth, that won't come out your mouth. And when someone else says it, it almost makes you mad. See, because it's not lined up with the truth. Well, they just don't know the truth, so they're still speaking in line with the enemy, basically. But you're at a place where you've grown out of that, and you won't say that stuff. You won't claim that stuff anymore because you know it don't work. Now, notice it says these things can be strongholds. Say strongholds. Stronghold. Now, stronghold comes when you meditate on that word long enough that it becomes a clear picture on the inside of you. You're in a car accident, and you're thinking, I'm going to be in a wheelchair my whole life. You're laying there. You're seeing yourself in the wheelchair. You're seeing people push you around. You're seeing your legs not working again. It comes to a place where then sometimes instead of just casting it down with the word of God you need outside help from people who can break that stronghold out of your mind and get rid of it but there's still going to be a fight after that how many of you know that it just don't go away the thoughts start coming back and then you have to stand against them so Satan comes to corrupt your mind corrupt your soul get in your heart he will attack your feelings and your emotions that's why in Proverbs it tells you you need to guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the forces of what life so notice you've got to be diligent say I need to be diligent now how often do I need to be diligent every Wednesday and Sunday and Tuesday or what no every day all the time he keeps coming so when you hear things you'll start to get a cliche that goes along with what you hear one of my favorites is people say well the fly swine flu is going around I'll always say yes right around my house you're on TV and you see somebody come on and says do you have back pain I immediately say no do you See, all these things are supposed to be planning stuff in your mind so that you meditate on this stuff. Even the commercials that you see on TV are telling you to buy medicine before you get sick. Now, why do I need to buy medicine before I get sick? Because when you get sick, not if, when you get sick, you're going to need these things. So what are they doing? They're getting you to expect to get sick sometime, buy this stuff, get prepared to get sick, and get ready to get sick. And, you know, when I was growing up, I only knew about four seasons. There was winter, summer, spring, and fall. But now there's winter, summer, spring, fall, and flu. <laughs> We've gone to five seasons. Why? Because flu season. Why is it flu season? Because everybody expects to get the flu. It's even become a season, for goodness sakes. So everybody's going to, it's flu season. Well, we know what happens in flu season. Everybody gets the flu. So praise God. And I'll tell you, the answer to this is simple. It's living in divine health. But the problem with divine health is there's no money and by his stripes you were healed. There's no money and you are eternally redeemed by the blood. The solution to health care is health. Could you imagine if everybody at one time got a supernatural revelation from God and nobody was sick? 
My God, the whole healthcare system would just fall apart. It would just fold up. They, they wouldn't know what to do. They wouldn't know how to do it. They wouldn't know anything. Well, praise God, one by one, we're going to continue to do this and put them out of business, praise God. So you must cast down every high thing, and you must bring it into the obedience of the word of God. All right, you're in 2 Corinthians. Go to chapter 2. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse Look at verse 10. Paul says, "To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgive it I in the person of Christ, unless Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his what?" So this tells you right here, number one, you can't be ignorant of his devices. If you're going to fight against what he's bringing against you, you need to know what he's coming with. So here it says basically Satan, if you do this, could get an advantage of us. Now that means if Satan could get an advantage of me, it means that I have the advantage until Satan gets the advantage. Is that right? Yeah, so we have the advantage. Why is that? Because we got born again. We're in the kingdom of God. Basically, when you now have the victory, we are redeemed, we are healed, and Satan's coming to try to get the advantage over us. How does he do that? Through devices and schemes and influence and thoughts that are in your mind. And here he says, one device. It will keep you ignorant of his devices. He wants you to do that. And what are the devil's tools to get an advantage, to get an advantage in your life? Well, he mentions one here. Look at it. To whom I forgive anything, I forgive also. Notice, unforgiveness. Say unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, unforgiveness is one of the things in the church that runs rampant. It's... Uh, I mean, it's a sin that nobody really cares about, let's face it. You can talk about somebody behind their back all the time in unforgiveness and nobody will even think anything or say anything because it's become accepted. But when you learn how powerful forgiveness is towards unforgiveness, you, it'll be like scratching your fingers on a blackboard again because you know what it's doing to that person who's there. So unforgiveness is a device of the devil. What does it do? It gains access into your thought life, into your soul, and eventually wants to wear you down into your body. So say unforgiveness. unforgiveness. Okay, go to Mark chapter 11. One of the favorite lines I've ever heard in ministry was, I forgave them, but. Well, I forgave them, but. I really did, but. Let me tell you what they did to me. All right, Mark chapter 11, look at verse 25. Jesus is speaking, he says, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now notice this tells you that unforgiveness is a flow stopper. It's a prayer stopper. When you stand praying against the attack or the enemy or declaring against it, it will not work. Why? Because unforgiveness is crippling your faith and corrupting your soul. Unforgiveness. What happens when you're in unforgiveness? First of all, you constantly think on what they did wrong. You constantly think how to hurt them back. You constantly think and talk about how mistreated you were. It basically desires to consume your thought life and occupy your thought life. And sometimes when you're in unforgiveness a long time and then you finally forgive, when you still walk by that person, you may sometimes feel like you haven't forgiven them. 
Do you understand what I mean? In other words, I, I've been mad at somebody for three months, and I'm in church, and I see him come in the front door and walking down that aisle. I can guarantee you I will go down that aisle because I don't want to get close to him. I don't really want to talk to him. I forgave him, but I just don't want to get close to him. Uh, I just can't let it go. I just, so there's still something in here, isn't there, that needs to be rooted out of there because the, in the, and I'm not talking about feelings out here. I'm talking about it's right in here, right in the pit, like somebody punched you in the stomach. So basically, what do we need to do? We need to forgive that your father may forgive you. Now notice, your father can't even forgive you unless you forgive someone else. Why is that? Because what you sow, you so if you're going to sow unforgiveness, he can't possibly give you forgiveness or else he'd be gone against the own law that he put in the Bible, which he's not going to do. Whatever you reap, you shall sow. But here's one of the favorite lines. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve for me to forgive them. Well, did you deserve it? Thank God we didn't get what we deserved. So we don't want to give everybody else what they deserve, praise God. So unforgiveness here is a device of the devil. It will stop your flow. It will rip off your joy, and it will give place to the devil. So you need to guard your heart. Say, I guard my heart from unforgiveness. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep, unforgiveness is a toughie for sure. And like I say, it's something in the church. And the church is, some things is okay and some things aren't. How many know that? If somebody comes in and starts using vulgarity, like they're terrible, they can come in and say, well, I hate so-and-so. And you go, oh, well, that's the way it is. A lot of people hate them in this church. You know, you're just one of many. And it's, whatever gets accepted to you, you'll be able to, to hear it and not bother you at all. But once you get to a place where your mind is really renewed and you hear something like that, it, it affects you on the inside. And you, you try to deal with it at that time. All right, go to Proverbs chapter 18. All right, Proverbs chapter 18. Here's another one. Look at verse 19. Proverbs 18, 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Here it's talking about offense. Say offense. offense. How many of you know in the church it is very easy to get offended? I think people in the world are less offended than people in the church for some reason. But it's easy to become offenses, off-end, offended. So basically offense is another device of the devil. It's an epidemic in the church. Many Christians are holding on to it right now. Many people you see in church basically got offended in a church. Instead of dealing with it or going through it, they left the church. They took their offense to the next church. They got offended there. They took their two offenses to the next church. And pretty soon they're in their fifth church with five different offenses. And they wonder why nothing's gone right in their life. No, you need to deal with an offense if you have one. If somebody twists you the wrong way, deal with it right there and right then. They may not even know that they offend you by what they said or what they did. So just deal with the thing and get it over with. Here it says offense builds walls. It builds walls between people like the bars of a castle. It keeps people out. It keeps people separated. It will hurt and attack your emotions. It'll fill your thoughts and your imaginations. You'll think negative about someone. You can't even look and be around them to a point. Offense becomes a stronghold in your life. It's harder to win it, an offended brother, than to take a strong city. 
And how many know people get offended over the dumbest things? You know, you're standing there in a group and somebody walks up, taps Brother Joe on the shoulder and said, hey, I'm having a party this weekend, Brother Joe, you got to come, yeah. And they walk away and Joe said, I'll see you there. And you were standing there and you said, well, they didn't invite me. I don't know why they didn't invite me. I was standing right here and Brother Joe was here and nobody invited me. This is people come into church and I'm in ozone land up here from praise and worship trying to think of what the Holy Spirit wants to do next and somebody walks by and tries to hug me and I miss him and they walk by. Well, he hugs everybody but me. Everybody in this church, he hugged this morning. Everybody but me. When he saw me coming, he turned the other way and he just walked away. I'll tell you what, I ain't gone to that church anymore. Wait till I get to the next church. I'm going to tell you what kind of pastor he really is. Love. There's no love in him. And it's so easy, isn't it? Now on, now, on the other end, we've got to be careful that we don't set those stages. Do you see what I mean? I, I don't come back after being a week off and tell Luann in front of Chrissy that she did such a great job while I was gone, then walk away. You see? I, I probably didn't mean anything by it, but it could easily be taken. You see? So sometimes you've got to be more weary that you're not making people mad without even knowing you're not making them mad. So you want to say, that was great last week, girls, which it was. You know, so, so you've got to watch what you're saying to different people at different times because if, sometimes if you single people out, single them out. Don't do it at the same time because you can get offended at a lot of easy things, man. And the devil loves this. He loves to get you in offense. He loves to do it because that's what divides walls between it. Divides it between churches. Divides it between husbands and wives. See, sometimes we men say things and women hear it differently. Yeah, really. I ain't kidding you. Really, they do. Yeah. And you were saying it one way, but they hear with their feelings and they heard it a different way. And before you know, it's one of these. What'd I do? What'd I do? What'd I do? Ever do that? Yeah, because you don't know what you did. But they heard something, basically, that they thought was derogatory when it wasn't derogatory. It was just... Hallelujah. Say offense. offense. Yeah. And Satan will feed the offense. I mean, you start going in that direction, he'll feed it. Yeah, that pastor never did like you. About time you figured that out. You've been going to the church for two years and sowing money there. That's right. He, he's always been that way. He's done that to everybody else. That's why his church only got 60 people in. He ran the other 40 off. He won't even hug them when they came out. It just keeps coming to you. And, you. and you start to like it after a while. Oh, yeah. You will start to feed on it. Yeah, that's right. I'm right, they're wrong. That's the way it is. But that's the kind of stuff that doesn't hurt anybody else. Because see, if people get mad and leave, I don't usually find out about it until two years down the road. Yeah. I don't know why I offended them. And they've been offended at me for two years and I don't even know they're offended at me. Praise God. Yes. You didn't hug me Sunday. I didn't hug you Sunday. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, to be honest with you, there were a lot of people up here I'd rather hug than you, so I just... <laughs> Yeah, and, that, and that's what it gets to. Things can be so pitiful, man. It's just ridiculous. So you got to guard your, and sometimes, you know, we're not in the best of moods, and it doesn't take much to, you know, push our bobber down or do whatever it wants to do. So offense is basically here a stumbling block. Say a stumbling block. Now, how many know a stumbling block is a block that you stumble over? So sometimes if you stumble over it, there's a good chance you didn't even see it, or you certainly would have been smart enough not to stumble over it. So it's a stumbling block. You don't see what it's doing. You don't understand what you're doing. You don't understand who's getting hurt, which is you. You don't understand why it came. And basically, what is it? It's a trap, basically, for you. Satan will set a trap for you to get into that and get in that good. When Elias used to teach, many of you don't know him. He was, he was something else. He used to teach me. He had this jar, and you could put your hand in the jar, and you could feel around, and then he'd put like $2 bill in, $2 bill in there, and he'd have you grab it. But when you grabbed it and hold on to it, you couldn't get out 
because your hand was too big. So the only way you'd get out of the jar was to leave the offense go and then pull your hand out. But as long as you hung on the offense, you couldn't get the thing off your hand. And he used to use that illustration. It stuck with me for years. That must have been 30 years ago. But what was he showing? He's showing you how it got you in bondage, and you can't get out until you let go. So you've got to let go of the offense. All right, go to Mark chapter 4. Yes. Yes. So now, it's, would it go the same way with unforgiveness? If you're trying to forgive, then you're in unforgiveness because you either forgive or don't forgive? Yeah, well, yeah, but you, you forgive, but then, you know, the Bible goes on to say, as we're going to get to later, that when you've got to pray for that person, that's what does the cleansing for your soul because it's very hard to continue to pray good things into somebody's life when you're trying to be mad at them. It's very difficult to do. Now, if you pray negative things into their life, Lord, I thank you for killing them today for what they did for me. How many of you know that's not going to cleanse you very good? It's just going to grow up on the inside. So, yeah, once you forgive them with your will, you have forgiven them, and you are cleansed. But then to get rid of the feelings and emotions behind it, that's why he tells us to pray for that person, which is the last thing you want to do in that situation. Slap them, yes. Kick them, amen. But pray for them, no. So you pray your way through it. And believe me, if you're going to be in any kind of ministry, you better learn to pray your way through things. I'm telling you right now. Because it's going to be that way all the time. People are going to, and people just don't stumble and offend you. They try. People try to offend you, man. They come up and say things that I can't believe people say sometimes, you know. But you can't get offended over it. You've just got to continue on, pray for them. Well, maybe they're babies right now. You know, who knows what's going on, what's happening. And you just got to see it that way because it's easy to get offended, basically, and easy to get in unforgiveness. Yeah, feelings and emotions can stay with you. It's like anything else. You can have symptoms and, and declare that you're healed, still have symptoms, but still be healed. But how many know you're going to have to work your way through that to you you know, you can't go right back to your feelings again. So we don't live by feelings, of course. We live by the Word of God. But I always go to the Scripture, too. I want to make sure God said it. You know, I go to First John. It says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all righteousness. Now, you said this. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. I sinned. I did this. I walked in unforgiveness. And now I'm righteous again. Thank you for obeying your word. That's it. And then whenever those thoughts try to come up, what do we do with them? Cast those thoughts and imagine, because you, th you think they're just going to vanish. They're not. And the longer you hung on to it, the more trouble you have getting out of it. It's just like an addiction, do you see? As long as you let them come and let them come and let them come, then you're going to have to like bat 2,000 of them out of your mind rather than a couple that came to begin with. And, and, you know, it's a battle in this day and age. Everybody in the world's offended. You can't do nothing without offending someone anymore. It's ridiculous. And how many know that's demonic? That's the way the devil wants things down here. They want nobody to get along with nobody and care about nobody and go. But they want you to hate the people who are out there acting like fools right now. But you've got to remember, it's the sin and the devil and not the person. And if we get to the person, we would deliver them from their stupidity, and they'd come on our side, and we'd be all right. So we just can't come at the person. The person is deceived. The person is under deception. The person is the kingdom of darkness. They don't know what they're doing, basically. So do we hate it? Do, I mean, do we hate that kind of stuff? Yes, we do. We hate it, but you've got to understand we're dealing with a person. And then sometimes I'll go back and remember where I was at one time. And I'd have hated me. 
But see, since that time, he took me out of the miry grave, praise God. He put me on a rock to stay, praise God. Put a new song in my mouth, hallelujah. Yeah, So, and if he did it for me and did it for you, it's certainly available for everybody else, is it not? I mean, it's not like we were right on sainthood and he pulled us in. No, we were, way there. we were all the way in the kingdom. It was dark, brother. Where I was at, it was awful dark. It was that low, low sky right here. You could touch it. It was so dark. But he brought us out of it, so he'll bring others out too. So yeah, we don't like the sin. We don't like what's going on. We don't like the sex changes. We don't like all that stuff. We've got to understand who's behind that and who's running it. And those people are messed up where? In their soul, see? He got into their soul. He got in there. And notice it always says the simplicity of the devil and the, the, the gradualness. The devil, one time Copeland said that basically the devil doesn't destroy by explosion. He destroys by erosion. Just a little bit comes in here and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. until it, And you can see how it's progressed even in the world today. Things that are going on now were even thought about 30 years ago. And then 20 years they started to service. Now they're trying to be, say, okay, and they're fine. What happened? Slowly eroding into society and moving through society, praise God. All right, where was I? Mark chapter 4. All right, let's look at verse 14. The sower sows the word, and these are they by the wayside when the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time afterward when affliction and persecution arises for the word's sake, not your sake, for the word's sake, immediately they become what? Offended. So here he's talking about the word of God. When you come into a church and you start to hear the truth and you start to hear the word of God, brace yourself because offense is going to try to come into your life and attack you. Why is that? Because he doesn't want that truth getting rooted on the inside of you. He don't want it to grow up to be anything, so he comes immediately. Say immediately. So he's coming immediately. What for? He's coming for it. In this church, you hear a lot of truth, so you get a lot of opportunity to be offended probably, praise God. But hopefully we're growing up to a place where we can recognize those things, and we will not get in them. We will not get an offense. We will not walk in unforgiveness. We will not do this, praise God, and we can block those things in our life. So basically, you know, and people get offended even when you preach the truth, and the truth doesn't happen for them. It's when people get the maddest, and I, you can't do nothing about it. You preach by the stripes of Jesus. You were healed 2,000 years ago. They have a friend, but that friend dies, and they said if he was healed 2,000 years ago, he wouldn't have died, and you're preaching that he's healed, and he wasn't healed because he died, so I hate your guts, and I'm going to tell everybody you're a cult and you're a heretic. But notice, the truth never changes. The truth don't change just because you didn't get what the truth said. Otherwise, that salvation wouldn't matter because a lot of people are going to hell, yet salvation has already been provided for. So you can't say salvation don't work. Oh, yes, yeah, salvation works, but you have to receive salvation through the word of God. You have to receive healing, and you're never going to receive it through I'm sick and hope to get healed. You're only going to get it by his stripes ye were healed. So when we preach that, we're trying to bring people up, and you cannot judge it by what goes on in the natural realm. You can't do it. You've got to stay on the Word of God. You can't be wishy-washy back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because that's when you become offended in a situation. Many people lost the church because they lost loved ones and they thought I was a heretic for preaching and they were healed. But how many know they were healed? Praise God. And, and you, can't, you can't water down the truth just to keep people happy. 
You don't want to do that. You want some people to rise above where they're at and come to a place where they actually believe the word like the word is actually written, praise God. So basically, if you start walking in the things of God and the word starts taking root on the inside of you and you start thinking the word and you start speaking the word and you start seeing the word on the inside of you, you will run into persecution. Can't help it. You're going to run into it. You're going to say something that offends someone simply because it's the truth and they've believed a lie so long they think you're lying. You've just believed it all their life. That's what they were taught all their tongues is of the devil. We told them to taught tongues is of the devil. Tongues of those people are demonic. And then they come up to you sometimes and say, how are you doing? Good. And you'll say, I'm a little tired. And I say, well, just pray in the Holy Ghost. They're like, oh, my God, it's terrible. I can't believe they said that. And then you show it to them in the Bible. No, that ain't, that ain't in there. No, that don't mean that. No, that don't mean this. No, that they're so locked in. Do you see? And then they get offended at you. Well, what can you do about that? Nothing. You're going to suffer persecution if you're going to believe it and stand on it. Now, if you go back down to their level every time you talk to them, how many know you're not going to offend everybody, but you're not helping you because now you're double-minded, and the people who are double-minded get what from the Lord? They don't get nothing. See? And in the day and age we're living now, people do not like the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear what feels good. They want to hear, you know, the kingdom of God is not made up with good opinions. It's made up with the word of God. So offense basically will get into your soul. It will get into what you're thinking. Say, I'll never become offended. Say, I walk in forgiveness. I give no place to the devil. Okay, go to Matthew chapter 5. I mean, there's a lot of good marriages out there that have fallen apart just for something stupid, you know. He didn't like my hair color when I got it changed. I'm never speaking to him again. And pretty soon they separate. And pretty soon they go their own ways. Pretty soon they get divorced. And if you start looking at negativity in somebody, believe me, the devil will help you. He'll show you negativity in them before it's over with. So you have to see who they really are, not what they're going through or anything else. Praise God. All right. Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 44. Here's your remedy for staying free of all contamination. Jesus says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be children of your Father which is in heaven. Now, how can he say that makes us children of our Father? Because we studied Sunday a little bit, children act like they're Father. So here basically this must be what our Father does in these situations, so it must be what we need to do. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Man, I tell you, I wish that scripture wasn't in there. I would love to see that every time it rained, it didn't rain on somebody who was righteous and rained on the sinful. Then we could pick out who was sinful and who was righteous and know who to try to save because the only one getting wet would be somebody, but it's not that way. How I many you know it comes on everybody? Praise God. Look at verse 46. For if you love them which love you, big deal. What reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what good does that do? Do you don't even the publicans do that? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, I'm going to show you what I got out of this scripture that helped me tremendously. I thought, how am I going to love my enemies? Bless those who curse me. Do good for those who hate me. Uh, do it despite it. How am I going to do that? Four things. I got to remember to do those four things in every situation. Notice, if you just do one of them, if you just do for the pray for them, 
Because if I pray for them, I am actually loving them. You can't pray for somebody without loving somebody. If I'm praying for them, I am blessing them. I'm not cursing them. If I pray for them, I'm doing good to them, not hating them. And if I take time to pray for them, basically, uh, not despitefully using them and persecute me, but it's also doing the same thing. I'm giving. I'm being a giver. I'm giving my time. How I many you know that's precious? I'm giving my time for them to pray for them. So this is what kept me clean, you know, till you come to a place to where you don't deal with that stuff anymore. You just know not to get in forgiveness, unforgiveness. You just know not to get defense anymore. You don't have to go through this. But back in the old days when things happened, basically, at that time, I had to pray for people. I had a prayer list. Everybody else has to get a, get a new car, get a new house. I had help Brother Joe, help Brother Susie, help Brother... Because all these people who get mad at you, I had to deal with that more than I did. I wasn't really interested in getting a new house or new car. I was interested in keeping my heart clean with God so that I continue to grow in the things of God and continue to get in revelation with God. So basically what I do, I prayed for people. And this is something that, you know, even before you were saved, let's face it, you had plenty of opportunities to get offended, and you probably were. And you were pro probably had a lot of people you didn't forgive at that time. But, I mean, you, you learn to forgive them over a period of time sometimes if they were close to you, you know, and you had to be around them all the time. Pretty soon you just gave up, and you forgave them, and you started running around with them again. But even stuff that we learned in the past can teach us now that we went through, and that's what a lot of things that we go through, you can do that. I was telling Becky the other day that basically I don't have to hold grudges, that I don't have to be in approval anywhere, because when I was younger, I was a freshman in high school, we had our first basketball game, they had a gym there, we played, and at that time there, there were the, the jocks and the non-jocks, and I was sort of a half-jock, <laughs> only I was very short, I was four foot ten. And I was playing basketball, and I was playing basketball, and the first game that we played, I got hot. And they didn't even have a three-point line then. And I scored, and we were with a team that was supposed to be pretty good. We took them to overtime. We lost by two points, but I had 32 points. And after the game, my gosh, great job. We're so glad. The rest of the teammates were all over me. That was on a Friday. I came back on Monday, and not one of those kids could stand me because their parents told them I was a ball hog, I shoot way too much, their kid should have been shooting the ball, you better not give him the ball anymore because he shoots every time he get it, and I went from here to here. So I had to learn to cope with that stuff even before I was saved. I mean, I couldn't stay away from everybody in high school. I had to get along with these guys, so I had to work my way through that simply because, but you don't know, and people, I'll tell you, people can change very quickly. They can love you today brag on you today, tell you you're the greatest today, and tomorrow not stand you one little bit. And those are the ones that are going to take you for a loop, and they're going to put you into a state of depression and open up the door for sickness and disease to come in your life, because why do they do that? I don't know why I did that. I'm such a nice guy. Your whole mind gets swaddled up by that stuff, and you're in a position where you're vulnerable to the enemy who's coming. So at that time, I learned it doesn't matter who liked me and who didn't, who approved of me and who didn't. I was going to go out and do whatever I could do and play ball. If they didn't throw me the ball, then I wouldn't shoot the ball anymore. It didn't make any difference to me. But to them, things switched that quick. And they'll switch that quick in your family. They'll switch that quick in your life. Things can happen very quickly. But you are responsible to guard your heart, not everybody else's heart. See? I'm responsible here. When I die, she's not going to be with me. You're not going to be with me. I'm just going to go up there by myself. And I can't say, well, you know what she was doing. Did you see that? Where were you when she was doing that stuff? Did you write it down in your little book? You got a book up there? What? 
No, no, no. See, it's me. I'm going to go before him. He's going to say, why did you do, 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 do? You could have did this, but you were doing this, blah, 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 blah. So we don't want to do that. We want to walk. And, and one thing all this stuff does, it steals your joy. I'll tell you, a joyless life stinks. It stinks. If you're down all the time, man, it stinks. You might as well just stay up no matter what's going on because most of the stuff you can't change anyway. Let's face it. Well, look what's going on over there. Well, what are you going to do about it? Praise God. You may pray about it, but you ain't going to fly over there and change the whole world and do everything. So, I mean, you might as well just live in your own joy. Don't let anybody steal your joy because the Bible says it's your strength. All right, go to Mark chapter 6. We're going to run out of time tonight for sure. All right, Mark chapter 6. Let's see. Let's start in verse 5. We'll go up a little bit, save some time. And Jesus could there do no mighty work, except that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk, and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went around the villages doing what? So notice, another thing, unbelief. Unbelief. Unbelief keeps you from health, keeps you from prosperity, keeps you even from God. God don't walk in unbelief. If two walk together, if they're agreed, if you're in unbelief, he's nowhere around. He does not live in unbelief. So what do we want to do? We want to continue to make sure we're believing the scripture. That's why when something comes upon me intensely, I want to go to the book where it's written into the place and look at the thing and make sure that it's in there. It, it Just quoting it sometimes doesn't work. I need to see that it's in the book and it belongs to me. When Cash was going through his thing, I looked at that scripture all the time. I just kept staring it down. I just kept looking at it. I just kept, every time I wanted to pray it, I looked at it. I wanted to make sure it was there. I just didn't say, well, dee, 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 dee. how many know that's how we pray sometimes? Well, by his I've been healed, praise God. I've been healed, praise God. But it doesn't do any good because you're just rattling it off. It's not really in you. It's just something that you're saying out there, and it's got to be in your heart. So notice what's the remedy for unbelief. It says he went around and he taught. Say taught. Taught. That's why we're teaching on healing on Wednesday nights because when the next attack comes, you will already be taught in divine health and what to do in your situation. You can just go back, back to your notes if you're keeping. Let's see, I'm under attack today. Let's see what it says. Oh, yeah, I, I don't hold lay for forgiveness. I'm not in offense with anybody, and I've got authority. Get out of my life in the name of Jesus. I'm healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. It says right here, he bore my sicknesses, carried my diseases with his stripes. I'm healed. Now, I'm going to stay right there. And the devil comes along and says, you ain't, you ain't, you ain't healed. So, oh, yeah, by his stripe right here. By his stripes, I am healed. No, feel. How do you feel? Doesn't matter how I feel. Look at it. Do you have a Bible, devil? Look at it. It says, by his stripes, I've been healed right here. So I'm, I'm taking the sword of the Spirit. I'm taking my stand. I'm not walking in unforgiveness. I'm not offended at everybody. Bless God, I'm going to win this battle, and I'm going to go through it. I'm going to make it through to the other side. Praise God. And how many know that's not an easy thing to do, but it's something that can be done if we go ahead and do it. All right, go to Philippians chapter 1. All right, Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 29. 
Here's a scripture that's been butchered. Look at verse 29. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. So a lot of people read this and they teach that we need to suffer for Jesus. We need to be in pain for Jesus. We need to suffer for our sins. We need to suffer. I'm just a suffering for Jesus. I'm just doing this or doing that. But how many know that Jesus did enough suffering for all of us? We don't need to do any more suffering, basically. The word suffer here means to hold up under or to bear. To bear or to hold up under. So when am I going to suffer? I'm going to suffer when I get up in the morning feeling like I hit with three Mack trucks and I'm going to say, I am healed. Then I'm going to hold up under. I'm going to bear. I'm going to remain the same. How many know that's suffering? I'm just going to stay right there. So what am I doing? I'm suffering. It doesn't mean that we should suffer and be happy about it and all that. No, it says when you go through it, you will suffer. You will suffer when you go through it. I mean, know when you're believing for finances and, and the bill's coming up and the sh money's a little short, you're going through some suffering, even though you're believing he meets my, all my needs, praise God, according to his riches and glory. Because those are the times when you get in the biggest fight all the way around. So I found out that whenever I come into a place where I'm actually going to have to suffer about something, I always thought I will suffer to win. Not to lose, not because I'm losing, but I suffer to win. In other words, I'm standing on the word of God. I don't feel like it. I don't look like it, but I'm suffering because I'm going to win in this situation, and I'm going to hold up under whatever comes. I'm going to stay the same. I'm going to stay the same and stand on the word of God. The Bible tells us to stand fast in the liberty wherewith we have already been set free. So I'm free, but I've got to stand fast, don't I? And to stand fast, I've got to keep these thoughts, once again, out of my mind. Just go up to Philippians chapter 3 while we're there. Look at verse 10. That I may know him, talking about Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. This is another scripture that's been taught already that basically what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to have fellowship with all of Jesus' sufferings. And Jesus died on the cross and he suffered so I should suffer. He had nails in his hands so I should suffer like he had nails in his hands. But notice it says the fellowship or the partnership of his suffering. So basically I want to take part in Jesus' suffering. How do I do that? I take part basically because he had the stripes and my part is the his part is he went to hell. My part is I get to go to heaven. His part is he became sin, and now I can live in. So I want to partake of his sufferings. It doesn't mean I've got to suffer along with him because we don't have to. It means that I want to partake of everything he provided for me when he was suffering on the cross. Praise God. So once again, suffering is not something we like to do, want to do. Will you go through suffering down here? Yes, in many different ways. But we still got the word of God to make it through to the other side. Praise God. So you are healed. Walk in, unfor walk in forgiveness, stay out of offense, stay in the word of God, stand in good contact with everybody, love. If you find somebody starting to get under your skin, say under your skin, start to pray for them and pray the good things into their life. Bless them, use the word of God to do it, and that feeling will go away. Don't meditate on whatever the devil gives you. Praise God. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for teaching us uh, about how to walk in divine health and walk in it. Father, we thank you for a body of believers. Every single person is healed right now from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. People who are here and people who are not. And I, I just rebuke pain in Jesus' name. I rebuke any kind of sickness, any kind of disease, any kind of demonic activity in their lives. I command it to go and stay away 
away from them in Jesus' name. And we thank you for it and give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added on